uh, it feels like you can um, just leave everything behind. Calm, natural, you know, be silent. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Right Feeling Podcast. This episode is pretty special, but it's also potentially pretty dark for some listeners. Gino Policardo Jr. is the son of Gino Policardo, one of the four Italian men who were kidnapped by ISIS pirates in Libya back in 2015. Gino tells me the story of his dad and how his family felt throughout the nightmare. But we also end up discussing the best and worst sides of humanity. And spoiler alert, there's actually a triumphant ending. To give you an introduction, Gino Jr. grew up in Monterosso, one of the five Italian seaside villages. These seaside villages are super famous, actually, and you probably know them as Cinque Terre. He now lives in Parma, Italy, where he is a high school history teacher. And Gino Policardo, his father, worked for an Italian firm in Libya in 2015. Libya was and is a big source of natural gas for Italy, and Gino was working in oil extraction at the time of his kidnapping. This is their story. Everything began on the 18th of July of 2015. The worker supervisor called us at home and he told us that something happened to my dad and to the other, but they didn't tell us at first what actually happened. The same night, we received a phone call from the foreign ministry and they told us that something had happened, that we had to be quiet because everything would have turned out to be fine. They would have worked in order to bring them back home. But that night, we didn't know actually what happened. In fact, I remember I was with my mom and we turned on the television in order to see if maybe something had happened. We were afraid maybe there has been a fight or like an explosion or something like that. The news didn't tell anything, so we had no idea of what what happened. I remember I fell asleep and then My mom woke me up at uh, 7.30 a.m. telling me that my dad had been kidnapped. At first, I didn't realize, actually. I thought, what are you saying? I mean, it's not possible. No, it's a joke. Maybe it's a... But then uh, I saw her crying. I, I started to link all the things I knew. And then I said, no, no, it's not a joke. It's Unfortunately, it's the truth. Libya in that time, there were a lot of problems. There were a lot of fights in between the army against ISIS and everything. A group of ISIS pirates kidnapped my dad and his three colleagues who were traveling with him. And so that morning started the the nightmare for seven months. Fifteen days after the kidnapping, the Italian firm started to talk to the pirates and the Italian government as well. 
And so I think that the pirates at the beginning treated them well because they wanted to earn some money from the hostages. Because if they wanted to earn money, they knew they had to give them back fine. They asked something like 2,000 million euros. At the beginning, my dad told us that the pirates were very kind to them. They gave them uh, the chance to go to the bathroom once in a day. They fed them once a day. And so they were treating them uh, well at the beginning. Then my dad said that after 10 days, the pirates' attitude towards them drastically changed. The negotiation had been stopped by someone. The pirates didn't let the hostages going to the bathroom. They didn't even feed them well. They were four and they appeared after two days with only three parts of bread or only three cups of yogurt. My dad said that the worst part of everything was not the physical attacking, the physical beating, the physical kicking, but the mental torture. The pirates knocked the door and they ordered my dad and the other ones to stand up, look at the wall and to stay up for hours and hours without moving. The first one who moved, they had beaten them with a gun or with something. That went by for three months until the last days of November. Because the 30th of November, they started again the negotiation. The pirates had asked uh, less money. At that time, I think like uh, 30 million euros. And the attitude of the pirates changed another time. They feed them with a hot meal. For the first time, they let the hostages go to have a shower. For the first time after four months. And there, my dad thought that maybe they could go back home for Christmas. But after a week, someone had stopped the negotiation. And again, the pirates changed their attitude against the hostages. A third time, about the 28th of January, two months after the second negotiation, for the third time, someone took the negotiation in charge. The pirates had asked 4 million euros, 1 million each. And the Italian government for the third time had stopped the negotiation. And there, my dad told us that he and the other men asked why, why doesn't work? When do you set us free? The pirates told, don't be scared, don't be worried, because Italian government always pay. And they started to tell about all the kidnapping history that had happened involving Italian people. So they were sure that the Italian government at last would have paid. And they didn't. The worst thing is that my dad felt that he didn't mean anything. My dad is, uh, is always been a very good dad. He's always suffered for being far from home because he used to work in Mexico. He used to work in Poland, in Chile, where uh, he met my mom, actually, because my mom is Chilean. He has worked in the Emirates. 
all over Italy from north to south. So I didn't grow up with him next to me physically. But trust me, he has always been a father present, a father who was always asking for us, always asking what we needed. He would have done everything to give us the work. I always say he is like a puppy, always loving his family a lot. And he is a quiet person. He never gets mad. He never gets angry. I think I've seen him angry two times in all my life, I think. Maybe. So he's a... I don't want to say that anyone deserves what happened to him. But he really didn't deserve anything of what happened because he is a really, really good person. At the end, for us, it was our fortune. I mean, our luck. For two of my dead colleagues, they died during a transboarding. Ten days before my dad and the other colleague, whose name is Filippo, ten days before they could escape from the prison they were in, that was a house, not a real prison, but a house, there has been a bombing on the Libyan town where they were kept. It was an American bombing on that town. After the bombing, the people living in the house where they were started to increase. He started to hear two or three women voices, uh, five or six men, uh, more children. They were maybe the pirate family. They weren't other hostages. Maybe they felt uncomfortable there because they thought they were in danger because of the bombing. The kidnappers, the pirates, decided to move to another place. And so maybe they didn't have enough space on the car or on the, on the van they maybe had. There wasn't enough place for everybody. So they decided to move two hostages before and after to come back to pick the other two. And they chose not my dad and Filippo, but the other two men, Fausto and Salvo. That was the damn choice because uh, during the first moving, they met uh, the Libyan army, which was uh, fighting against ISIS. There was a fight and all the pirates and the two Italians died during that. And my dad and Filippo stayed uh, in the home only with water, without food, without anything for uh, three, four days, because they thought that they were coming back to pick them up and to move them as well. But they didn't see anybody arriving, so they started thinking to do something, because uh, my dad said if uh, we didn't do anything, we would have died of hunger. They decided to try to unlock the door. There was a, a piece of wood on the window, so they could take it off. From there, they gained the nail. All night long, Filippo worked on the door with the nail. He finally took the door off the morning after, and they walked out. They were scared because they didn't know who there could be out there, what there could be out there, because they didn't even know where they were. My dad said that it was like 
someone from above was looking after them because they didn't meet anybody until they found a police car who stopped them, asked them who they were, and the policeman took them to a police station where they could phone to the families, could wash themselves, and they could eat at last. The situation ended on March 4th of 2016. So it was uh, like seven months of nightmare. And during the seven months, Gino, how did you actually feel inside? I had to be strong because when everything happened, I, well, my sister is younger than me and she was only 17. So she was a a girl, a little girl, we say. Well, for me, she will always be my little girl, so because it's my little sister, so you know. Yeah. But she was a little girl, and uh, I was afraid because I didn't know how she could react. My mom, uh, she had a breakdown in that period. Of course, uh, she suffered uh, a lot, uh, and uh, she didn't know how to behave. She didn't even know how to take care of herself. I had to be strong. I had to be, you know, the family man, the one who tried to keep holding on for the family. I tried to convince myself for Christmas, he'll be back home. And when Christmas passed by, I said, well, it's my sister's 18th birthday. He will come back for her birthday because it's uh, something he really wanted to be in. He really wanted to celebrate this day. Just trying to to keep my faith alive. And in that, I, I was lucky because I had the great help of my aunt and my uncle and my family, my friends, everybody you know who loved me. They helped me a lot. We are a big family, very united family. So we suffered all that period together. But I, I put on these, uh, you know, the, it's not a masquerade, but it's uh, like a screen of strength. I have to admit that when I was, you know, in bed trying to sleep at night, I mean, I felt desperate, I felt sad. I was afraid not to see him again. I remember that during the night when I walked out the dog, I was used to look up to the sky and I remember I saw the moon or the stars and I, <laughs> I was thinking, who knows where he is, if he is uh, in a house or at the air, and who knows if he is still looking at the same moon I'm looking now, who knows what he is suffering, who knows what he is doing, and I, my thought was always on him. Yeah. Lot of uh, emotions, lot of emotions, and so just to help me out, I tried to make my days busy. And then it happened sometimes, maybe when I was there looking at the phone, uh, a picture came out of my dad and I started crying maybe from the nothing because I was very sensitive in that period. Yeah, it's, it's trauma. Yeah, I was lucky because I had the great help of my aunt and my uncle and my family, my friends, everybody, you know, who loved me. That was the key that helped us to keep holding on. So then how did it feel when you saw him when he came back? Happy, really, really <laughs> happy. Yeah, I was happy. I was also actually telling the truth. 
I was also a little bit scared of the situation because, you know, you're still in a government place. He arrived in the official airport of the Italian ministries and Italian government. And so I saw a lot of people, formal people with, you know, the minister suits. Yes. And so I was a little scared to show my my reaction that could have been even more uh, expressive. But I was happy and I remember I hugged him very, very much. When uh, I had him in my arms, the only thing I wanted was coming back home. (laughs) I think the most touching image I have of that night when we finally arrived in Monterosso, the most touching image is the one of my grandfather hugging my dad in the house. It looked like seeing a baby in his father's arms and it was the most touching image i have of the whole final moment like you woke up from the nightmare and now it was a dream (laughs) yes yes exactly those are the finest words you can use so has your dad changed at all from this experience this nightmare you know the the lucky thing because that was something i was worried about when everything ended up and when he came back I was worried that uh, this experience could change him for mm. for worst. And it didn't happen, luckily, because he showed us a strength, a braveness that actually I didn't know he had. <laughs> so <laughs> I I mean I I always thought of him you know a quiet person and <laughs> he showed us that he was incredible. He is incredible actually. But now he appreciates much more food. He eats with even more, uh, even yeah. more uh, appreciation. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes I have this feeling he is always uh, like thinking about something. So I think that what changed of him, it is that sometimes he has, yeah. he, he thinks back to what happened to him. And this still is uh, like a scar you know, but that's the only thing I think it's changed of him. It's the usual dad. (laughs) How does your dad think of his experience? Like, is he angry at the pirates? Is he angry at the Italian government? How is his perspective about everything that happened to him? Look, at the beginning, he was. At the beginning, he was angry with the Italian government, with the pirates with everybody actually with the situation i think two three days after they came back home the italian prime minister was on television and uh, someone asked him uh, about the story what was his uh, thought about the, the story he answered that he didn't know what four italian people were doing in libya on that time the message was he chose to go to Libya to work. And my dad didn't. He told me I didn't choose to go there. I had to. It was the only job that I found during the crisis. The four Italians in Libya, it's not only them. A lot of Italians are still in Libya working. He said, we were in Libya because you need Italian people working in Libya. You need people working there in order to provide Italy of oil and gas. 
And my dad was very, very mad with the Italian foreign minister of the time because when my dad and Filippo arrived in Italy, walked down the plane stairs, the Italian foreign minister was there to shake their hands. And he told my dad, it's over. Luckily, it's over. And my dad answered, Mr. Minister, it's not over. We left in four and only two of us is coming back. So please work to take the other two back. The minister knew that the other two were dead. My dad didn't know. Because the four men always had been together for the six and a half months. Only in the last days they were divided. The Italian firm, I mean, the worker supervisor, he mm. was the one who told them that Faust and Salvo are dead. That really hurt my dad because he said, if the minister knew that the other two were dead, he didn't have to tell me that it was over. Did your dad ever sit down and have a conversation with the foreign minister? Like, rather than just have a photo opportunity for the minister for the news? No, never. The last contact we had with the government was uh, that morning. That same morning, the foreign ministry provided us uh, two psychologists to talk with us. We were in an hotel because uh, we were waiting to come back home in an hotel in Rome. And these two psychologists wanted to meet us as a family, the four of us, my mom, my dad, me and my sister, and uh, started to tell us that uh, the government had done everything, was in their power to do, that we didn't have to be mad, that now we had to share only the joy of being together, the government had done everything, and so on. And my dad told them, you cannot come here the same day I'm coming back home telling me that the government has done everything because two men have died. Two brothers of mine are not with us anymore. So what has the government done? They left us alone. And this psychiatrist was a government-paid psychiatrist? Yes. That sounds so strange to me. They should have given you time to internalize everything and process everything that happened before having a conversation with you. And it doesn't even sound like a conversation. It sounds like they were just telling you how you should feel. And, and, and that's exactly how we felt about it. And so our angers increased because we perceived that it seemed like they were trying to put a truth in our mind that wasn't the truth. Yeah. It's almost kind of like, wow, okay, so you're just trying to sweep everything under the rug as if everything that happened was not a big deal, as if everything that happened was not horrible. Yep. It's done. That's yeah. it. Like, time for you to go home and be happy now. As if there wasn't going to be any trauma, as if your family hasn't suffered for months. It seemed like they tried to, yes, to swipe off seven months of desperation because we were desperate. During those weeks and during those months, we felt lonely. We felt we didn't mean anything to the Italian government. When everything started, they were really careful. They called my mom, uh, I think, every day at the beginning. 
then they started to wait more time. In fact, at the end, like from January to the last months, all the news, everything was happening to my dad. We knew them from the news. For example, the Italian news said two of the four hostages had been killed. We didn't know anything. That morning, my mama wasn't even home. I was going out. I was walking the dog. And I met a family friend who stopped me and told me, look, two of the hostages had died, but we don't know who they are. And the neighbor, she was very kind. I mean, she told me immediately, it seems that it is not your dad, but everybody's waiting for more news. So that's how we realized. And... The day after, when we knew that my dad was free, we knew it from uh, him. And we received his uh, phone call. The Italian government had, had disappeared. <laughs> we, so we, we didn't know anything from them. Anything. From what it sounds like, I mean, obviously, maybe it's hard to know because there's a lot of internal you know, politics or something like that. But really, was the Italian government really doing something? Because... You found out from your fucking neighbor. <laughs> no, I know. And more. I told you that there was an American bombing on the town uh, my dad was in. And this bombing uh, had been approved by the Italian government. So if the Italian government knew, and they did, where the hostages were, even though they didn't know exactly where they are, but they sure knew in which part of Libya they were. Mm -hmm. So it means that the Italian government, maybe I'm wrong, and I hope I am, because I know it's a very hard position, the one I'm taking. Mm -hmm. But what I'm suspicious of is that the Italian government, maybe at the end, wanted to leave them there. They didn't have any interest in taking them back home. The reason, there could be a reason, uh, maybe an economical reason, because, uh, you know, the excuse of four Italian died in Libya could have been a good excuse to ask for something, maybe. I don't know. I know it's a hard position, and I am not saying that it was like this. It's just your speculation. It's my speculation basing on the things I know, on the news Mm -hmm. I have. I'm not saying that that's the true and that's what actually happened. Mm -hmm. But the suspicion is that maybe they didn't want to set them free. They just were looking for like an excuse to ask for more economical influential more, uh, you know, more... Um... Uh, like you could say, as a result of this American bombing, four of our people were killed and these families should be compensated. Well, not for the American bombing, but they could ask maybe an important position in, con- you know, uh, controlling the controlling area. the area. I, that's what I thought. Mm. I, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am wrong, actually, because if it were like this... It will be a very bad thing, I think. It's very dark. It's, it's very, very dark. dark. Yes, it's very dark. Because it's 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 politics. Yeah. Like you're you're using human lives to play politics. 
Yes, that's the suspicion. I don't know. The only thing I know is that my dad really, really suffered. I know that Filippo had suffered more because Filippo is even older than my dad. It was his last journey in Libya after he would have started to retire from working. It was more difficult for him. He had much more problems to face Mm -hmm. after. But now he's better. Filippo as well is a very nice man. He he looks like Santa. He looks like Santa Claus. (laughs) He's a good face, you know, someone who's good. (laughs) And, you know, basically while you're talking now, obviously the audience, they can't see you. But as you were describing, you know, your dad and as you're describing Filippo, it's you have a smile on your face, you know, (laughs) and you can really tell that these two men mean something to you. Yeah. And I think... When the prime minister writes it off as if, well, it was their fault because they were in Libya. These are not just two men. These four men weren't just four random men. They were men to somebody, you know? You know, the the thing that upsets me more is the fact that I felt like anybody didn't care about us, didn't care about them, didn't care about my dad and his colleagues, the newspapers, the news uh, was not enough. We watched and we read about my dad's story at the very beginning, in the first two, three days, and only at the end again. During all the months in the middle, no one had said anything about the kidnapping. That's something I was really, really mad at. The media showed much more interest about other stories, other hostages, than the one showed for my dad's story. Sometimes you think, me as a son, I thought maybe I could do something more. Maybe I could have uh, written to someone. Maybe I could have uh, spoken to someone. I don't know. Maybe I could have contacted someone. But I did it. Because I don't want to live with the thought that something has happened and I didn't do anything to, to try at least to save my dad. During the last months, especially, when I saw that nothing was happening, that the situation was locked, I started to write to some journalists, to someone of the media, in order to hopefully shining a light on, uh, on the story. You know, maybe it was useless, but for us it was important because it meant that someone took care of uh, us. And in that moment, we needed to know that someone was taking care of us. Hmm. But no one has never answered me. No one. Still to this day? Yes, no one. Wow. There was only one man, a freelance journalist from Parma. Hmm. This journalist, Mr. Pino Agnetti is his name, is the only one who never stopped talking about them. He had created a Facebook page about this story. He was the only one that never stopped asking the truth, asking to do something for them. But he was a very small voice in a big ocean of silence. And when I hear of other stories, I am happy if they talk about it because I know that's important to keep the light on on this situation because we have to free people who didn't deserve to live through what we have lived. But I have to tell you that, yes, it upsets me because uh, nobody did it when it happened to us. 
And so we felt a little bit, you know, abandoned. The whole point of shining a light on the story is also, I think, maybe it was just your family's way of needing to do something, right? Feeling like I haven't heard from anybody in the Italian government. It's been silent. We don't know where our dad is. You know, we want something to happen. We need people to help us. And I think people forget that the power of these stories are so strong. It's it's just sad to hear that that, that happened. It's sad, but it happened. We cannot change history, unfortunately. But wh- why do you think that happened, Gina? Like, why do you feel that they didn't cover your father's and Filippo's and the other two men's story in the same capacity that they've been covering other stories of other hostages? You no, know, I always ask that question to me a lot of times. Why? Why? Why they behave like this? Why this story seems to be different from all the other ones? I don't know. I think maybe it could be the reason could be that Libya in that period was a very hot zone full of economical and political interest by a lot of nations. So maybe it was a more difficult subject to treat. Maybe that's the reason why everything turned out to be so different from the usual. But To be honest, I don't know why. I don't know why. I only know that maybe if we had asked more, we had talked more, if the media had shined a much bigger light on the story, maybe Fausto and Salvo would be here with us. Mm. But something I really want to say, I feel we as a family felt a lot of uh, love and a lot of care mm. from our village. The people during those months, and especially in the last days, in the last period, and the day my dad came back, it seemed like a, a whole village had become a big family. I remember that the night my dad arrived in Monterosso, all our friends, all the people of the town, everyone was down the street, down our house. They wanted to see him. It looked mm. uh, like a big, big family. I remember that a friend of ours told us that when we received the phone call and the news was uh, out that they were free, in the main church of the town, they started to ring the bells. <laughs> and uh, a friend of us told us that everyone who was passing Everyone was happy and everybody, they started to hug each other like a a village had become a big family. And that is something really, really nice. I just, I feel this warmth in my my chest. Yeah, (laughs) and that's exactly what I felt. And I Mm. felt then and I still feel when I think about that day. Hmm. Do you feel like that gives you kind of a sense of hope for humanity (laughs) compared to all the coldness that you felt with like the institutions and the media? Yes. This story, I think, can represent as very well like a medal, you know, Mm. the two faces of the same medal. The best part of society, so the one of uh, warmth, the one of the hugs, the one of the help that each one of our citizens and each one of our friends offered us. And at the same time, it shows as well the worst part of society. So the coldness of a government that thinks that maybe 
economical issues and political issues are more important than human lives. That is something that this story, I think, has to teach us. This story has to teach us how much we think a human life costs. Are we sure that human life can be considered something that has a cost? I don't think so, but something that this story helped me to think about. Would you have preferred if the Italian government paid your father's hostage um, ransom? Because it's kind of like we were discussing earlier, right? Because the Italian government had paid for hostages before, it created this cycle for pirates to continue to mm. kidnap Italian citizens. So have you worked out for you, like with your family, how you feel like the government should react in these situations? It's not an easy situation. But what I know mm. is that maybe the worst way the government could react was the one he actually did. I can understand that the first amount of money could be a lot. And so I can understand that you cut off the negotiation the first time. But a second time, a third time, when the pirates asked for less money and always less, mm -hmm. I think that the third time they could have paid. I know that I am maybe it's e egoistic for me to think that it's maybe it's selfish for me to, to, to think that because it's my dad. Of course, I would have wanted to pay. I would have paid uh, all the money in the world. I would have done everything, even sell mm -hmm. myself if I could in order to raise the money to save him. I think it, if I had been the prime minister and the government, I would have paid. Because I don't think that a human life deserves to be abandoned by his mother country. Hmm. It's supposed to be our mother country. So I asked to myself how a mother would behave in a situation like that. I don't know if a mother would have would abandon her son. Yeah, that's a really beautiful way of putting it, actually. Especially, I think, for Italians, like from the Italians that I know, um, you guys are very proud of Italy. Of course, there's its problems, but overall, you know, there's this love for your country and for your culture. To feel that it wasn't there for you is very upsetting. You know, Italian are like that. Italian are always good to, uh, you know, to criticize, are always good to be mad, to be angry, to be everything. But don't touch Italy. Don't touch our country <laughs> because we are also very, very proud. We are the first to be critics to our country, but we are also very proud of it. It's like having um, a brother or sister that you can criticize, but if somebody else does, no, no, no. <laughs> that, that's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Gina. Well, to wrap this up, I would like to ask, what do you feel is the right feeling within this entire nightmare, within this entire experience? Is there a right feeling at all? The right feeling is uh, learning. What I learned from this story is that no one never has to surrender against anything. So that's the right feeling, I think. Learning and taking from this story the courage of not surrendering against anything.
Well, Gino, thank you very much for coming and sharing your dad's story on this podcast. Thank um, you for inviting me. Thank you very much. I'm really grateful because uh, I think I needed and we as a family needed someone who talked about this. And so I'm really lucky that we have a friend in common that could uh, plan this conversation with you. So yeah. we, I think I have to thank also Silvia. You yeah. can send them a, a kiss. <laughs> And you know, you have your book out with your father, um, but it's in Italian. Maybe for then our Italian listeners, maybe you can say the title of the book so yes, they can go find the, it. Yes, the title is Libia, 365 giorni nelle mani dei rapitori by Gino Policardo. So I hope this episode leaves you with a feeling of hopefulness rather than hopelessness. There was something frustrating that I felt when I was looking more into their story. It's just the fact that Gino and his family's side of the story really isn't reflected in the media news reports. You can probably still find old videos of their arrival home from Libya, but watching those videos, reading these stories, while knowing what I know now, it's it's just it makes me really disappointed with our institutions. They're just so far removed from the warmth of human life. And it's just weird to me because these institutions are made of people. And honestly, it's just a shame that they have turned into what they've turned into. I do hope for better, but I think we should expect better from those we give power to. Anyway, commentary aside... I just want to say again a huge, huge thank you to Gino and his family. He's asked me to let you know that you can always feel free to contact him. And if you're interested, I can put you in touch. Just DM me on Instagram at the right feeling underscore or via email at Jane, that's J-A-N-E, at the right feeling.org. Have a great week and I can't wait to feel the feels with you in the next episode. <laughs>